Hey everyone, just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and ebooks. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. St. Augustine once said, God provides the wind, man must raise the sail. Welcome to the 113th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that prayer is powerful when we're living with mental health symptoms, but so is action. So is reaching out for and accepting help. It all works together for our wellness. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. We've talked in previous episodes about the impact Simone Biles had on mental health during the Summer Olympics, but now we're hearing about the lasting impact her action has had on fellow athletes. We go to the New York Times for more. What Simone Biles did was just so strong and such a strong message for all of us just to know that it's okay to not be okay, said Anna Gasser, a gold medal winning snowboarder making her third Olympic appearance. One by one and more than ever, Olympic athletes are displaying their vulnerable side. It's a healthy shift, they say, for competitors who spend most of the four years working in relative seclusion, then are expected to be perfect when their Olympic moment comes. I could relate with Simone because even being six months out from that point, I was already feeling the pressure and the heat, said American snowboarder Jamie Anderson, a two-time gold medalist in slope style who qualified for Beijing. And life has gotten so crazy lately that it's hard to manage anything. Stress is exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic. As in Tokyo last summer, athletes in Beijing will not have friends and family with them because of strict protocols restricting travel to China, where foreign fans have been barred. That has simply turned up the heat in a pressure cooker. Anderson, 31, a Californian who exudes a hippie vibe of centered cool, said that the stress of her first Olympics in 2014 turned physical. I ended up like having alopecia, like a full bald spot on my head, and I was only 22, she said. Biles and others have become a new kind of role model, not just for their talent, but their openness. Back to me, again, I have to point out how amazing it is when someone is willing to share about their mental health and how it can have a huge impact on those around them and those they don't even know. Reaching out for help with our mental health is a strength, not a weakness. And as more people open up and share about their experiences, I'm hopeful our culture will come to understand that truth and finally put an end to the stigma. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Charles of Césaire. (music) 
Born in 1613 in present-day Italy, Charles' parents were poor farmers, and his mom liked to dress him up in the habit of the Franciscans when he was a little baby, and she kept that habit long after he outgrew it. Charles' grandmother passed on devout religious practices, and Charles grew to love physical labor, plowing the fields with oxen. When he was 20, he grew deathly ill and vowed to join the Franciscans if he was healed, and guess what? <laughs> his poor health uh, did keep him from going on out on a mission, but two years later, Later, he joined the order, and instead of going on that mission, he lived as a poor beggar. He was also a cook, a porter, a gardener with the order. He gave to the poor, and he was held in such esteem that Pope Clement IX summoned the friar to his deathbed for comfort and a blessing. When he was leaving, Clement asked the two uh, when the two would meet again, and Charles said, on the Feast of the Epiphany. The Pope, however, did not recover, but he did die on that very feast day the friar mentioned. And the friar himself would die on that very same feast day years later. It gives me chills. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. I offer up to you all those tasks I have to do that I don't like. The ones that seem pointless, the chores I find distasteful, and the duties that others demand of me. Teach me to be cheerful and not complain as I do my work. In each moment of these jobs, help me to experience your wonderful presence. St. Charles, pray for me. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I'm really going through it at the moment. A loved one has a difficult health diagnosis and I can't stop thinking about losing them. What will I be like when they're gone? How can I get through the pain? My thoughts return to a strong desire to just die first. I think of the usual comforts. Jesus suffers with us. We can hope to see our loved ones again in heaven, and it's not helping. And then I feel like I'm failing God by not wanting to live the life he has planned for me. It's just so horrible, and I don't know what to do. Let's start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous and everyone experiencing this overwhelming feeling of wanting to escape suffering in life for the hope of Jesus to enter their hearts this very day. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First, I want to remind Anonymous and everyone listening that if you experience feelings of suicide, you should... Reach out for help as soon as possible. Help is out there and helping professionals are ready to walk with you and hold the hope until we start to experience that hope once again for ourselves, right? So you can text HOME to 741-741 to get connected to a crisis counselor 24-7 and they'll provide support and ideas for how best to get connected to the care that you need. Next, I want to say that God understands us and knows us better than we understand and know ourselves. So even though I completely sympathize with your feelings of guilt and thoughts of letting God down. I've obviously had them during my life too. Let me at least say clearly that God loves you, understands why you've had these feelings, and wants you to be free of them, free of suffering, free of everything that makes life difficult. We're going to take a look at uh, verywellhealth.com for some thoughts on coping with anticipatory grief. First, let yourself grieve. Researchers have identified four phases and tasks of grief. The tasks include accepting the coming loss, working through the pain, adjusting to a new reality when your loved one is absent, 
and connecting to your loved one in a different way as you move forward. Next, find someone to talk to who will listen without judging or trying to fix things. Anticipatory grief is similar to the grief you feel after someone dies. One big difference is that there is often more anger. You may also find it harder to control your emotions. There's no easy fix for your emotions, but a good listener can help you feel less alone. Third, consider journaling. Keeping a journal can be healing. It can help you express things that you wouldn't feel comfortable sharing with a friend. A journal can also be a place to record your thoughts the thoughts that you've had around the time of your loved one's death. Now, back to me, we all deal with these types of situations differently, and I hope that you'll be able to reach out and find help from a friend, a family member, or a therapist to walk with you through this experience and help you move through this to the healing and wellness that God so desperately wants you to have. A different anonymous is up next. Can you address culpability, responsibility for compulsive behaviors that are sinful but originated in early childhood before the child's age of reason? Sexual sins like pornography and masturbation from early sexual abuse and learning to lie, to cope, evade a dysfunctional and toxic home environment, self-harm that began at an early age and continues. These are deeply entrenched habits hard to break free from, and I'm wondering if I'm condemning myself to hell. Let's join together in prayer for anonymous and everyone living with compulsive behaviors that they find it hard to break free from, for freedom, and for God's infinite ocean of mercy to wash over them. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First, I want you to know that God loves you unconditionally and understands why you engage in these entrenched habits on an even deeper level than you understand it yourself, right? And because of that, God's love will not depart from you because of your struggles with these behaviors. Don't take my word for it, though. Let's look at paragraph 1735 of the Catechism where it says, Responsibility for an action can be diminished or even nullified by habit, inordinate attachments, and other psychological or social factors. So I think we can clearly say that based on the situation you've described, you are not condemning yourself to hell. However, it's clear that these habits and behaviors are difficult to live with and you deserve freedom from them. This is where a therapist can come in to help you work through these experiences that you've lived through and how they've impacted your behaviors and help guide you toward the freedom and wellness that you need. A therapist would be an important step because they can get to know you right there in real life and help you with your particular situation. But for the sake of sharing some thoughts about how to start addressing the situation today, let's look at Cleveland Clinic's advice. Prepare for discomfort. Whether your goal is weight loss, better nutrition, improved physical fitness, or another lifestyle change, some of the best ways to break bad habits is to prepare yourself to feel uncomfortable. Next, create a game plan to start a new habit or to change a bad one. Include a start date and the ways you'll change the behavior and track your progress as well as challenges. You'll want to watch yourself talk. Set realistic goals. People often take on more than they can handle. Rather than making monumental effort, it's important to adopt incremental goals. Next, establish incentives. Incentives can motivate yourself to do uncomfortable things. You can create symbolic rewards, such as throwing dollars into a cookie jar for every day that you engage in a positive behavior or refrain from a negative one. Next, recognize that it's a journey. 
Once you realize a behavior, uh, behavioral change, what happens next? It's time to adopt a maintenance schedule. Our humanness can drag us right back. We're creatures of habit, and bad habits still have some power over us. If you fall back into bad habits, remember that sometimes it takes many trials to get where you want to go. And back to me, I mean, know that we're praying for you, obviously. And, and also one other thought when we're trying to decrease bad behaviors or bad habits that we have is that we're going to find more success if we replace them with a good behavior, right? Or a behavior that is better for us, is healthier for us. So it's not so much just trying to stop and then having nothing to replace it because that'll drive us back to that same bad habit, but rather trying to stop the bad habit and replace it with something good and healthy. So, you know, try and figure out something with your personality and and all of that that can help you find something healthy to replace it with and and follow these other small incremental ideas and know that we're praying for you. A third and final anonymous wraps us up. How do you deal when your husband has been mired in deep depression and anxiety for years and refuses to receive any kind of help? I've been seeing a therapist to help me deal and understand him better. But it hurts to realize that our kids essentially have no memories of him before his depression. He isn't really involved in our family life and activities due to his depression and severe social anxiety. I hate feeling so alone and resentful of him not getting help, as well as tired of advice that says he's incapable of doing it himself, while at the same time saying it's something only he can do for himself. He refuses to let me make any kind of doctor's appointments for him or accompany him. How do I talk to our kids about his depression and how can I help minimize the effect and influence of his anxiety and depression on them? Please join me in praying for Anonymous, Anonymous's husband, her family, and everyone else finding themselves in a similar situation for an openness to getting help, for a clear path on how best to move forward, and for peace. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First off, I just want to say how amazing it is that you reached out for help for yourself in the midst of the situation. To recognize the benefit of having someone to talk to and work through all of this shows a lot of strength, and it's a great witness to everyone listening. The experience of a loved one not wanting to get help for their mental health, especially when it's a spouse that we're raising children with, can be such a source of deep pain. And it's a situation where at some point we often feel like we just have no idea on how we're supposed to move forward. We'll take a look at some thoughts from Mental Health America to get started. It can be hard to watch a loved one struggle to get motivated. You want the best for them, and you can see how making a change would help them. It can be painful to see someone you care about experience negative consequences from their behaviors, and it can be frustrating when they don't seem to see how important it is for them to take action. Recovering from a mental illness usually requires some kind of action. Your loved one may need to make some tough lifestyle changes, or they may need to work up the courage to seek professional help. As much as you might like to grab them by the shoulders and make them understand, that's not the most effective way to help them find motivation to start the recovery process. Think about your role. Remember that you don't have to be everything to this person. In fact, you really can't be. If someone is having trouble feeling motivated, change talk is a way of 
gently guiding a person toward being more motivated. The most important part of change talk is active listening. In active listening, you spend more time listening than talking. You make sure you understand what they're trying to say before you try to give advice. There are basically three steps to active listening. Asking open-ended questions instead of, aren't you going to go see a therapist? You could ask, what's holding you back from seeing a therapist? Reflect back what you hear in your own words. You can start by saying something like, what I think I hear you saying is... And also ask clarifying questions. Am I understanding you correctly? Is there anything else you wanted to say about that? Give them an opportunity to correct you if they don't think you've understood. Here's some other tips on how to use change talk to help get someone motivated. Ask permission before giving feedback or when bringing up sensitive topics. Ask about their reasons for not changing. Understand that having mixed feelings is normal. Maybe one day they're excited to make a change and the next it seems like they're back where they started. Try helping them list the pros and cons of making the change. Give them credit for positive changes they do make. If they try to do something and don't succeed, give them credit for trying. Sometimes little things like getting out of bed or taking a shower can be a big deal for someone dealing with mental illness. So back to me, I'm positive that you've tried most of this and I'm so sorry that it hasn't been helping after so long. Sometimes we have to wait and try again and other times we have to accept how people are back to Mental Health America. At the end of the day, they need to make their own decisions. Mental health treatment is usually not something you can force upon someone and expect it to have a positive effect. If someone refuses to make a change, at some point, you need to be able to let it go. That doesn't mean you have to enable them by supporting them financially or by doing things for them. It just means that you accept that this is their choice and that you've done all you can. Back to me again, of course, this becomes more complicated when the person is your spouse and someone you expect to be uh, co-parenting with you. And, And hopefully these specifics can be something your therapist can continue to work through as you try and find a path forward. Let's uh, take a quick look at how to explain depression to your children. Here's some helpful tips from Michigan State University. Be mindful of your child's developmental stage and tailor the conversation in a way they can easily understand what they need to know. With teens, you want to take time to talk about what anxiety or depression is and how it affects you or your spouse. Start with an example of a time that you felt anxious and depressed and what those symptoms looked like for you. With school-age children, you can have a similar conversation. However, use language that describes what anxiety or depression means, such as worried, nervous, and sad. School-age children are concrete thinkers, so it helps to give them a concrete example of what symptoms might look or sound like. Like, the other day when we were late getting to school, I was feeling extra worried and I may have yelled or seemed grouchy. Next, be honest with your explanations and open to your child's questions. It's okay if you don't know the answer. In these instances, you can say, I don't know that right now, but when I find out, I'll be sure to tell you. Next, assure your child that people can receive help to improve mental health, like meeting with a doctor every week, taking medication, eating the right foods, and getting enough exercise. This lets them know that there can be an action plan and that they'll be taken care of as well. Next, assure your child that it's not their fault and that mental illness cannot be caught like a cold. Explain that sometimes everyone feels anxious and sad and tell them it's also okay if they feel worried or scared at times. This could be a great opportunity to explain that there are ways to feel better like taking deep breaths, going for a walk, or talking to someone about your feelings. And last, keep the conversations ongoing. Assure your child that you are open to any question they have at any time. Let them know that you will continue to explain the difficult situations that occur and that you have a plan to try to deal with them. And back to me, please, please know that we are praying for you and your husband and your family.
All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in a future episode, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. (laughs) 